Open the five bay doors, please, pal. All right, all right, all right. You're gonna need a bigger potion. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Look at the coast. We get together, have a few laughs. <laughs> a movie odyssey with Brad Patel, Gus Trout, and Adam Lucas. I went to the shirt store and I said, I want your loudest shirt without color. And I found that, it. This yeah, shirt. that the shirt's amazing. I love it. Um, I don't, is yeah. that uh, I, so? Adam's got on a crazy Hawaiian shirt, which yeah, it's like um, they're like um, lilies or something. Called? No, like, they're like tropical. Like Hawaii has them. Shit, I don't know. Uh, anyway, some kind it's of some sort of tropical flower. flower, but it's just white, like a white illustration, pen and ink type thing on black. Um, shout out. Oh, wait. Well, I don't do free advertisement, but whatever. <laughs> Society's <laughs> collapsing. Shout out to Express Men's clearance section. <laughs> you, okay. You can do a shout out. If you like, if you like like mildly fashionable Hawaiian esque shirts, go check your Express Men's clearance section. They have some polos. They have some that are straight up like more Hawaiian shirt, you know, like okay. colorful flowers and birds and stuff, but. I'm not, uh, I've been just kind of into drab. I just, yeah, uh, yeah. Everything I buy now is like gray, black. Yeah, yeah, but this exactly. is the one exception is like, uh, I like a black shirt with like a light kind of flower, floral, or, you know, I mean, yeah, you gotta make these days to have a, a family and, and, and have your spouse not have to work or support a family on your own. Um, you got to make like, I'm going to say $300,000, maybe like in somewhere like Louisville, Kentucky. You if know, you're in a city, have, for sure. You yeah. If you're like, like in Louisville, Kentucky, you got to find somebody that will pay you $300,000. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Brown and Williamson tobacco company across the street from the Hyatt Regency hotel where Jeffrey oh. lived. Oh, right. You're doing a segue. Okay. <laughs> I just, I'm a little slow. Um, it's okay. It was not a very, you, I mean, those are very specific details from well, you Jeffrey Ligon's life. You went to Louisville first and I'm like, hmm. But then when you said yeah. the, the tobacco. You're right. 300,000 so. was how much he was making at Brown and Williamson. Oh, right, right. Okay. Yeah. I, he said all that too, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was literally just reading. Anyway, why don't you do a classic I'll, intro? I'll do an I intro. Say, yes. Yeah, I'll, let's do an intro. Oh, we'll talk about this movie. Yes, Gus isn't Gus isn't here. He got a little sick and lost his voice. So. Yes, just me and Adam tonight. Uh, I'm joined by bros. my good friend Adam Lucas. Hey, gang! I did that in reverse though, so now I'm. Confused. I like I like I, it. Uh, Adam Lucas is here. Gus is not. <laughs> um, we're. Talking about the insider, this is the final episode of our mini manathon here on the Movie Odyssey podcast. Manathon, you're, you're not going to do. Oh yeah, manathon, manathon, manathon. Okay, our mini manathon. So the insider, 1999, uh, Al Pacino again, and he's got uh, a great ass. His, I wish I could take his performance in this and put it in heat. Like, like him more toned down and he, realistic. He's so good in this. He's really, he is probably of his he, later roles. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's not screaming. He doesn't really scream. He does get even, a little heated, but yeah. Not like, but yeah. even when his character is super agitated, he still doesn't go into the great ass thing. Right. And <laughs> I think he, he could actually watch footage of this guy that he's playing. Yes. Whereas in Heat, he's creating a character from true. the page and with the director, you know? So that's true. I think his impulse, if he were creating this same character from whole cloth, like if he didn't have any reference or he decided not to use it, he probably would have ended up screaming something about somebody's ass. Probably, yeah. So, <laughs> probably. so this is based on a Vanity Fair article, which was Correct. in turn based on the 60 Minutes segment, which was recorded and edited but then not shown but then shown um and there's a whole kind of the third third of the movie is all about that like it kind of starts off as a whistleblower story and then it right. kind of in the third act kind of turns into this sort of corporate thriller with cbs and the lawyers and yeah 
So it's pretty insane. And like, I did you watch the 60 minutes, the original I, 60 minutes thing from when they first aired it? I did. Yeah. I looked it Same. up. It's okay, on YouTube. Cool. The guy, yeah. it's the whole segment. I mean, they kind of do it in. Yeah. You I, see most of the segment, the key moments of it. Yeah. Like, and then everything else is like Mike Wallace explaining to you what else happens in the movie, basically. Right. And there's other interviews in there, like the one interview with the lawyer who is representing the tobacco company. Did you make it that far? Oh, yeah. No, I watched the whole thing. That, that guy, guy was so delusional. Like, oh. Well, he's just a really good lawyer. Like, yeah, he is really good. I'm, yeah. I he's he's a terrible piece of garbage. <laughs> yeah. uh, he should not exist as a sentient human person. But um, damn, he was he, he had all his talking points and his def ways to deflect and twist and oh, yeah. spin everything like <laughs> right there. And, and he got like just angry enough. Do you know what I mean? To seem yeah. authentic. Right. Like he must've spent so much time. Being it was thrilled by like other lawyers to oh, prepare yeah. for that. So rehearsed. Yeah. You remember anyway. the scene in the verdict where it's like a room full of lawyers going over like how they're going to act and. Yep. That's kind of what I picture yeah. here. This whole thing with yeah. like the tobacco industry. So Russell Crowe Russell Crow in this is a real guy. So this is all based on events that happened like two or three years ago in the timeline of the movie. Like the movie comes out right. in 99. These events that they're depicting is like mid 90s, like through 96 yeah, from like or 92 something. through 96 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like fresh in everyone's memory. Uh, seven Academy Award nominations, zero wins. Uh, Heat got zero nominations. I mean, I like Crying Heat shame. better than this. More, I, I like this movie, but yeah. I like this movie. But I, it's one of the those films that I have a hard time remembering the details, other than like the details of like I remember the three hundred. He made three hundred thousand dollars, and yeah. you know. But it's like I, I'm like what it's it's kind of subtle like michael mann's still doing michael mann stuff and his michael mann shots and everything but it's yeah. it's kind of subtle to the point where i mean it's kind of a good thing because the movie just kind of happened to happens to you it's very authentic nothing is jumping out at you like oh shit what a cool movie making thing he did that's true right that's yeah. not this movie um it's much more restrained in some ways true it's probably the least michael manny of the three that we watched i would say for like, sure it, it doesn't have the, the stylized right it's not very stylized at all it's very almost more cinema verite like he does a lot yes. of handheld yep and just very... sort of fly on the wall type stuff yeah he wants you to feel like you're watching a real story you know and it's not dramatized yeah as much. It, except it is like it, it is he, he said they they weren't interested in doing a documentary well, it's not a documentary. Right. Be, I mean, you're having actors play the yeah. people. Yeah. But it's sort they of did, like harkens they did add to stuff. that. Well, yeah, there's dramatic additions and um, like the way things are staged or some of the timing of the events are like played with just to make it more dramatic. But yeah. yeah. So which of the like death threats and stuff were like real? Like the thing on his computer with his wife or whatever. Did that happen? I know they got phone calls. That There's, was there, in the 60 minutes thing. Yeah. There were the phone calls. Um, I was the whole thing with a person maybe in their backyard and the FBI coming and taking his computer because they were like corrupt and whatever the guy was like related to the tobacco company somehow in the FBI. Was any of that real? I don't think that was real. Okay. Like that, that seemed like pretty crazy. Yeah. I could see it happening because I mean, the FBI killed JFK. So true. Well, the, the also the bullet in the mailbox thing. I don't think that was real either. Right. That was that's a little. That's probably the Michael Manniest thing in the yeah, movie. Yeah, <laughs> probably. That's and a just cool like shot the shot of it that, though, the yeah. camera through the mailbox shot. You know. Um, and the fact that Jeff Wigand has like enough guns to necessitate a gun safe, like he's got multiple different handguns to choose from. Yeah, Whereas, I think I think he only had one gun. Yeah, he very clearly yeah. says, like, I went and bought a gun. Yeah. And got a bodyguard when they have like three people at his house around the clock in the movie. Yeah, that whole kind of paranoia sequence, I got the impression it was a little bit 
of the sort of Michael Mann um, dreamlike quality bring, you know, cause yeah, those shots where we see the, I don't know. He just gets a glimpse of something. We don't get a clear look of somebody like yeah. walking through his backyard or something. Did he imagine it? I, you know, I don't know. That's one of those sort right. of yeah, it cinema is, it is, shortcuts, I think. Yeah. It's left to your imagination and your discretion as to if it's real or not, you know? I mean, the whole thing's crazy enough, though, right? Like it the, really is the story, sure. the real story of it. Yeah, it's just insane that. And this is the '90s. Like, they're still right. This isn't even like this. <laughs> like, this feels like it should be like seventy, like Nixon Deep Throat era, shit. right? Right when, like, before the curtain was pulled back, that like, oh shit, like everybody in the government is fucking corrupt and taking money from this and recording these people and you know um yeah this is the 90s where it's supposed to be like oh we're like everything's good again everything's fine and good <laughs> shut, 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 shut up shut up they kept it going a couple more decades oh it's still going on the cigarette people i oh, mean the cigarette people oh yeah i mean this yeah of course the the government's government's corrupt, changed. but like they just the, wear different masks. Yeah, the cigarette industry and the 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 things they pulled to try to like trick people into like we don't know is it I don't know it causes cancer. Well, they not sure. they say we don't we don't believe that's right. the key word. They say believe we right. don't believe nicotine's addictive. We don't believe cigarettes cause cancer because how you can't how do you how you send someone to jail for a belief do you know what i mean yeah like it's very and that was just like they were saying that in front of congress so it's not like congress has the power to put them in prison anyway like so they're not technically lying they just are crafting their words cleverly exactly if they said the truth yeah if they said we know cigarettes aren't addictive then that's perjury because they could find out you know and i guess saying we don't we don't believe it's addictive and then with all the documents showing they knew it was addictive. I guess that's yeah, still just, perjury. You know, hiring, paying off scientists to obscure the, to cloud the issue. And right. Um, yeah. So crazy. Yeah. Russell Crowe uh, is the whistleblower in this. He's in his 30s, but he's playing a guy in his 50s. Did you buy that or was that? I don't know. I looking I at mean, him and then looking at the real guy, it's like, yeah, his performance is good, but I just didn't buy him as a guy in his fifties. Yeah. He definitely didn't feel like he was in his fifties. He just seemed like one of those guys who went prematurely gray in his early forties or something. Yeah. Um, I think he does a pretty good job. I, I, I saw an interview with Michael Mann and um, Charlie Rose. Did you see, did you watch the Charlie Rose with Michael Mann? after this came out uh no okay because charlie rose used to work at 60 minutes or i don't know if he worked at 60 minutes but he worked with mike wallace oh yeah and this movie is pretty mean or you know what i mean it's pretty like it makes mike wallace look kind of like a chode kind of yeah because he he becomes company man and kind of doesn't stick to his like journalistic integrity roots he's like well what are we gonna do it's cbs we can't let it we can't bankrupt it you know because he's in his ivory tower with his cushy job he's like the most famous newsman in the world so i think that um, might be my favorite part of the movie is christopher Plummer as um mike wallace because he's really good yeah i forgot to mention michael gambon as the ceo is really good too yeah pre another like crazy cast yeah this is another yeah another movie where he's got like all these Famous people doing bit parts, just like in Heat, yeah. uh, kind of w- almost yep. walk-on roles. Like Gina Gershon has a kind of a glorified walk-on. Yeah. Um, same thing with uh, Philip Baker Hall. He's in a few scenes, but yeah, this movie's mostly about Al Pacino and Russell Crowe. Christopher Plummer as Mike Wallace is kind of the third lead but that goes down substantially. There's a lot of people that come in and out of this movie that, that are memorable, but like the one guy is playing himself. The, uh, you saw that the Mississippi surgeon yeah. general. So, 
or attorney general. Attorney, yeah, sorry, right? yeah. attorney general. And, yeah. But in the mo- in the movie, did they say that they were state's attorney general, or they were just like lawyers? I think he said he was, uh, Mike Moore, state attorney general for okay. Mississippi. Like, it just seemed I, it's they kind of gloss over it because it's kind of a big deal for the three three state attorneys to just be hanging out with Jeff Wigand for like months, not yeah. even in their own state. Yeah. You know what I mean? <clears throat> it's a big case, I guess, but still um, pretty nuts. But yeah, I was like, holy shit, that actor looks just like that guy when I <laughs> yeah. saw the 60 Minutes interview. And I'm like, wait that's a minute. The, it's the same guy. <laughs> that is that guy. That's the yeah. thing about making this movie. It's like these events are recent and the people involved are still active. So it's, I don't know. Are there other cases where that's happened where a movie has come out like this where the it's depicting events that are so close to the time of the actual event like oh like when it originally came out yeah like uh, less I, than I five years out um of... that that um uh captain phillips maybe okay i was Tom gonna Hanks. say i'm sure there's other examples but it seems one, very the... Yeah. Did they make a movie about the guy who landed the plane on the Hudson River or whatever? Oh, the, you know what? They did with Tom yeah, Hanks. Yeah, I think that was, yeah, yeah that right. was pretty, yeah, it was Tom Hanks again. I forgot Holy about shit. that. Holy <laughs> shit. This is Tom Hanks' subgenre. Um, yeah. yeah. Hero biopics. The co the screenwriter, uh, Eric Roth, who is, this is the only Michael Mann movie we've looked at where he didn't write the screenplay himself. He co wrote right. it with this guy, Eric Roth. His first credit was, Airport 79, his first feature film. <laughs> and then yeah, uh, I know that movie for sure. <laughs> other highlights include Forrest Gump, The Postman, The Horse oh, Whisperer. And then Eli, they work together again on Eli. Like, so I think maybe that contributes to it feeling less Michael Manny than the fact that he had a another screenwriter he was working with. For sure. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, that tempered him, tempered his yeah. man maniness, his manlyhood. Yeah, um, in the Charlie Rose interview, I think that's the first time I've ever seen a Michael Mann interview. Have you ever seen footage of Michael Mann talking about his his shit? I watched one when we talked about Heat. I watched an interview, but it was pretty recent. It was like the twentieth anniversary, or um, but he's he is like to use a $5 word, uh, very like erudite. Like he, he knows shit. He knows b- more obscure words than erudite. Okay. Like that is an obscure Charlie Rose, word. Yeah. yeah. Nobody uses that. What's, <laughs> what's, what am I college? What am I a college college um, boy? I'm a college. Uh, You're just the whole uh, college. Yes, please enroll in me uh free tuition for everyone oh boy uh but he's very 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 like smart well-spoken and uh but he also comes across as kind of like kind of humble in that charlie rose interview anyway because oh cool he you know he's like uh, he's saying things to the effect of you know we we try all we could do is try right and sometimes we don't hit the mark and and and, you know, I'm huh. he's like basically saying like he's like kind of surprised every time he does a good job <laughs> in a way. Really? Um, OK, because he doesn't know until everything's done and then other people see it, like if it actually works, because and I think that's very honest, because as an artist of any kind, I think at a certain point, you're kind of get lost in the woods with something, especially if you're working on it for years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you just kind of have to keep going and finish it. And then. At that point, you're like, I can no longer tell if this is good or not, but oh, absolutely, it's done, right? And then yeah. you wait to see what people think and hope that they like it. Yeah, you kind of lose that objectivity. And it's sort of like when you think about a word right. for a long you, time, it just oh, becomes when nonsense. When I try and do logos, yeah. When you make, try and make logos with words in, oh yeah, you know, like whatever. Let's say you're making something with the word acorn and you look at that long enough and you're like, this word is the dumbest word. <laughs> I've ever seen this is is this how it's spelled? And you literally like Google it to make sure and like okay. Yeah, it's like you question whether you're spelling it correctly and yeah, your brain just like totally melts whenever you look at a word long enough. And then imagine living with a film, you know, like that's totally in your mind and yeah. on the page and then producing it and then post-production, you know, over like 
three, four, five, six years. Yeah. You're thinking about it every waking moment. Yeah. It just permeates your life and it's, it, it, be, you become so attached and intertwined with it that it's like, so, but it is rare to hear someone like him admit that though. Like, I agree. I, I was actually kind of surprised because I would guess that he's a, he would be a little bit more aloof. Yeah. You know, a little bit more like, like not give straight answers to things and be kind of like purposefully mysterious. But, right. <laughs> he wasn't really he came across as like kind of like a nerd uh like a stylish nerd yeah <laughs> um he is but stylish. charlie rose he is stylish yeah and he's a good looking dude too like he's, yeah uh he's very he's stately is not the right word he's handsome but he, i'm trying to think of some he has like kind of a commanding vibe you know what i mean yeah it's just like he looks like he knows what he's doing which i'm sure definitely helps that helps um, that goes a long way even right. if you don't know imagine what you're like, doing. Right. <laughs> but yeah, Charlie Rose gave him, he started, led the interview off kind of being like, hey, buddy, you were mean to Mike Wallace. Fuck you. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Charlie was pretty pissed. Yeah, huh. he was. He, he was dancing around it and being very, trying to be professional. But you could tell he was, he wanted to kind of nail Michael Mann's ass to the wall a little bit about dissing Mike Wallace's, you know, reputation. Yeah, I and there and so by, how did he respond to that? He um he just kind of said, "Well, you know, that's what happened." So <laughs> basically, you know, in in much more words and much more calmly and eloquently, but he basically just said, "I hear you, but you know, I'm not gonna like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna lean into the things that are interesting. I'm not gonna gloss over them." I mean, you know, I, basically, what he said. I don't think he comes off as that bad. Well, I mean, he does like when you question someone's journalistic integrity in the world of journalism. That is the worst thing you can do. Yeah, it's a pretty serious accusation. It, is that the accusation that was made? Because so it's all because of the scene where. So, OK, yeah, they do this bit, you know, they do this segment for 60 minutes. Al Pacino's the producer. They interview well, this guy yeah. and then CBS and their lawyers are like telling them to pull it and yes, like, we're not going to air it because uh we're afraid of interference soon, basically like who, who thought i would ever know that term tortious yeah. interference yeah the, i like um, the the whole thing in there about i think it's gina gershon's line about well you told the truth so that could hurt them so they're going to come right. after us something like right. that but so yeah. it's that scene initially where mike wallace says oh i agree with you right yeah i'm with the i'm with the ceo board whatever guy on yeah. this one but he changes um, his mind when, later right so only whenever it's clear that they can do it without jeopardizing you know what i mean he's made out to be a diva for sure i mean it's not it's not yeah, um, he, he the is. The first time yeah. you see Mike Wallace, he gets he's screaming at guys with guns, and then yeah. Al Pacino's character is like, "You got? Are you good? You got that out of your system? Yeah. You got your blood up?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm ready to go." You know, like he did that because he needed to like get his blood up and feel like it, powerful and puff his chest out a little at the right. guy who's interviewing. Which, how about by the way, the, the setup to yeah, the, the first scene in the movie. <laughs> Al Pacino is a producer for 60 minutes. He's being driven with a bag over you his head. You don't know this yet. You just, you yeah. Just, Al Pacino with a bag over his head. Well, the, the very first shot of the film is just, you're looking at canvas and yeah. you're like, what is, what am I looking at? And then, oh, it's Al Pacino's point of view. Cause he's got a yeah. bag over his head. But yeah, that's, that's another thing about this movie too. It's another one of those movies that kind of doesn't hold your hand. It lets you piece things together as it goes. For sure. It does a but, lot of showing yeah. when it can. There, this movie is very talky because it has to be. Right. So I think they made a very concerted effort to have some clear visual um, storytelling as often as possible because, you know, to kind of break up the talking head nature of it. Yeah. And Michael Mann's doing a lot of that kind of stuff in here of like breaking the 180 rule and putting yeah. stylized cuts and shots in there. Um, but again, in, it's not in a way that's like flashy. No. Or like, I kind of feel like um, 
Oh, what was the the Korean movie that we recently watched that's nominated for oh, stuff? Decision to leave. Decision to leave. Where yeah, there's like a lot of the stuff that it's doing you don't really notice until or think about it until afterwards or upon a second viewing. I think yeah. it's, this is not on that same level because that one's much pushing the envelope. But yeah. there are shots and things going on. Did you notice the fucking wind? The wind? Yes. Outside. Just every in, scene? In like, well, okay. Every time, it seems like every time he is either receiving something that is going to like put him on a course to like become this kind of force for change or shaking somebody's life up or whatever outside it's like a fucking windstorm oh wow like it's and they just have subtle sound but if you look there um when he's the very first time we see him uh, at home he's in bed right and his yeah. sons and like her son all these people are coming in and and he gets this package which you're very clearly supposed to think is a bomb yeah right because it's yeah. like all duct taped and yeah. yeah oh real quick aside in the scene where he's got the blindfold and everything on did you see how they were trying to make it seem like he, maybe he's a secret agent like oh i smell the i can smell the you know they're doing a rotisserie something oh yeah real over here and oh i can hear this sound oh there's chimes here like yeah. he's gonna have to retrace his steps but then it's just like <laughs> the end, just they a, just like open the shades and you producer know. for 60 yeah. minutes i like how they just leave him like yeah, the, after they just, the interview, the just, disappears. Yeah, 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 and they're just like, "Well, we're gonna have to right. get some generators." So, okay, sorry, tangent yeah. over. So the wind, um, he gets the, he opens the box, and it's not a bomb, and it's the documents about Philip Morris, I think, and and them knowing possibly that their cigarettes could cause house fires, right, and not doing anything about it, but he can't really, you know, he can't understand it because it's a hardcore scientific paper so he yeah. needs to get a consultant and that's how he gets hooked up with jeffrey wygand who had recently been fired from brown and williamson but right. outside they must have four of those like eight foot fans like going back and forth because the trees are like wah, wah, wah. oh I, yeah now that you mention it i remember that but like i mean like I why didn't... are the trees why is that so fucking windy but it happens again and again and again Huh. Um, like whenever he decides well, in the scene when he's faxing with Jeff Wigand outside the wind is um, in the scene when he decides to like go to do all of his journalistic tricks to like get the story you remember I don't remember this is one of the things what did he do he kind of did an end around and gave the story to like the Wall Street Journal or something so it, since they published it, it was like in the record. I think it well, there was the Mississippi case where he they were trying to get them to depose this Wigan guy. So now it's public right. record, so and now record. yeah, now but there he's, was another thing he did with with I think the Wall Street Journal where he yeah, like gave he did them a, some piece of the story or something. Yeah, he did like an end run there when like the tobacco company sent the Wall Street Journal this document trying to trash Wigan. He right like met the guy like in a seedy alley or something and yeah and was like here's the evidence this is made up or or right. something yeah he does a bunch yeah, of little things like that that are really cool that yeah and if those are real I doubt all of those are real or at least the way in which they came about but it feels very that feels very Michael Man Manny in terms of like Al Pacino's character in Heat. And um, yeah, as Farina's character and Manhunter, you know, that these people that have this like otherworldly skill set in their particular lane. Yeah, um, we have a, yet another one of those. And I mean, I think that Lowell Bergman probably was like that, but maybe not yeah. in the clandestine, you know, I know there's a lot of politics and stuff in in journalism, but I think this plays it up a little bit. But yeah, maybe not. But yeah, the idea of like the corporate speak, both from the journalist side and also from the legal side, because yep. this movie, like I said, it starts off as like a whistleblower story. It's part 
it's a little bit courtroom drama. It's a little bit, a little of, bit like family drama. There's some of that thriller. Too. Yeah, it's like a corporate Paranoid thriller. Thriller, yeah. Slash conspiracy thriller. Yep. Uh, so it's a lot of different genres, but yeah, yeah, that whole idea of like using the language of the the industry that he's talking about and having it yeah, be and accurate and legalese and yeah, all the journalism terms and. So that's definitely um, credit to the screenplay, and yeah, he's yeah. good at that stuff. For and sure. the direct quotes that they they chose to pick out of the sixty minute interview in the Vanity Fair story. Yeah, true. Um, whenever they're like, doing that story, whenever you see the actual story, but they're dramatizing it, they're just recreating yeah. shots. Like it's almost, just more film noir. Yeah, right. Basically. It's lit less. <laughs> it's only lit from like one side to make it more dramatic, but it is like literally the exact same like shot he's he's leaning the same way right although he always has his glasses on and in the 60 minutes interview he's like not wearing his glasses that's true yeah but that's probably just because there was glare and they're like will it really fuck you up to not wear your glasses and Jeff well Rogan was like no I, it's okay even how it was cut too, like there's the scene where al pacino's working with the editor and saying okay put this shot here yeah and and it's that's how he's describing how the segment is actually cut together. Cause right. like w when Weigand says, I believe he's lying, it cuts to footage of them, you know, yeah, the seven dwarves, they said yeah. they call it the seven CEOs saying, telling Congress they don't believe that nicotine is addictive. And then there's that whole like he goes to New Orleans to film like the story about cops in the middle there. Which yeah. I guess is just like I was because say, yeah. that is what was happening whenever he whatever found out the next thing i can't remember again this is there's so much that happens in this it's you, hard for me to remember well it's sometimes confusing because you see him working on other stories too because he is right. still That's a producer at 60 minutes and yeah he's working on multiple things at once there's also a couple of oj references did you catch yeah. that <laughs> yeah just yeah. to kind of date them. Just oh, like, okay, mid nineties. I got it. Yep. You know, like it's on the TV in the bar or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. I think three or four times you see an OJ reference. It's just there was a lot of OJ back then. <laughs> Very OJ it, heavy time. It was hard to get away from OJ, unfortunately. On I TV. would come home from school and my mom would have that. Oh, like, I think she was working from home and she would just have that on <laughs> the TV, like the the trial, you know. And yeah. because it was like West Coast. It was on until like six, seven, eight at night, you know? So that would just be like on. Like, I think I watched like the whole OJ drive whenever I was out, whatever. I was like, I'm sorry. At eight to nine, 10, something like that. Yeah. It was a soap opera though. So is this like this story, like the beginning of the end of journalistic integrity? Cause like I'm, I'm no, watching this you movie. Still have like, well, maybe on television. Because, well, that's what I mean. I'm thinking it's quaint, right? Because people like, have like morals about what they're saying. On I don't know. This, yeah, I think that I think the thing is like, when's the last time you watched sixty minutes, or you watched like the uh, front line on PBS? You it's know, been, it's been well, years, right? So I there I think they're still doing it. I just think nobody cares because people are trying to get away from the news or they're addicted to their brand of news. They don't want to hear like yeah. real news. They want to hear talking heads talk about the stories that they think will keep you watching. Not the things that are important for people to know. I guess people have all, I guess I just kind of sound like an old man yelling at a cloud right now. But... Yeah. I mean, you got the yellow press always, way back in the day. Like the always press said has always this, been, yeah. yeah. They're always good and bad journalists. They're good yeah. and bad lawyers. They're good and bad people, you know. Um, but but, but it yeah, is I before didn't... the current kind of 24-hour news, one camp over here, one camp over there. Right. Kind of it was there were people pretending <laughs> yeah. to not do that. Whereas now most places are just mask off. And even if they think that they're neutral because things have gotten pushed so far in certain directions, right? like it's hard to even know where neutral is. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's about what are you willing to give up to make sure the truth is heard? Are you willing to sacrifice oh, yeah. your family? It's totally your career, about that. Basically whole life. Right. And yeah. it's, 
and it's everybody's different responses to that. Like Jeffrey Wigand, I think it's he, I think he's just a stubborn guy. I he just needs to tell his story, you know. He, well, I think he got threatened, and then he was like, "Fuck you! Yeah. I will blow my life up now." Like that's if you that's had been kind of chill the impression. About this, yeah, I know. That's the impression I got from the movie of like, right. <laughs> he's just pissed if, that they threatened him. So now he's just came gonna... at, Yeah. If they came at him with a bribe, he yeah. would have taken it. I yeah. think, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. They but were they came dicks at, to him and yeah, they came at him with like, well, fuck, we'll ruin your, you know, you'll never work again as a scientist, which I mean, he didn't. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, and we'll fuck your whole family life up. We'll take away your health insurance. You know, we'll, we'll we will ruin you. Uh, and he was like, the fuck you say? <laughs> like, off. you can tell he has this kind of like reactionary, you know, this defensive streak in him for sure. Well, in the movie, I wonder how much of that is. I think you can tell it in the 60 Minutes interview because there okay. are times where he's very kind of like quiet and like, you know, um, ma mainly when he's recounting his time at Brian, Brown Williamson, he is kind of seems contrite and like, hey, I, I took the money. Like I went there for the money. Yeah. They kind of convinced me that I could go make a safer cigarette. Then they said, of course we don't want to give a shit about that. Shut up about that. That was just to like make you <laughs> able to justify getting in here. But now you, you're taking a paycheck. Shut up. Right. And, and then when it came to threatening his family and stuff, there are times in the interview where he has this kind of like, almost like crazy eyes, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I I like the insider. I, yeah. I think I don't like it quite as much as the other two we looked at. No, it's not entertaining. It is engaging. It is. It's, it's good. Uh, enthralling. Yeah. Entertaining, it, it, not really. And it's almost the least like him of the three Michael films Mann? that we looked at. Yeah, it's almost. For sure. It's his most restrained, mature. Not that he isn't mature, but it definitely still has this kind of like vibes it has the vibes that we keep talking about the michael mann vibes yeah this one was, he's yeah i wasn't getting a lot of the vibes yeah on purpose to make a serious i was getting a little bit when he was doing stuff with the camera like breaking the 180 yeah. intentionally and stuff like that i'm like all right yeah this is cool but most of it was like almost Pretty it was like shot like a documentary very straightforward storytelling not a lot of stylization Right. Uh, but but a good movie, a solid movie. Again, it was almost three hours long, but didn't feel like it. It was no. it was paced very just, well. There's a lot going on, but and I, there were a couple times where I felt a little bit lost. But for the most part, it's like you, it keeps trucking along. So you stay interested, but it doesn't really lose you. But it also yeah. doesn't force feed you everything. So you kind of got to think. Right. It doesn't talk down to you or hold your hand. It's right. It's sort of just giving you what you need. To get the story, the, the performances that are you solid. Have a brain. Yeah, I like uh, Al Pacino more in this than I like him in Heat. Um, Gus yeah, might disagree I think, with that. But. I, I like I like his quotable shit, but yeah, he's yeah. kind of a meme in Heat. Like he is, this, he's like re, yeah. he's doing a really good job of inhabiting a character. It's a, just a really solid performance. It's like really, really good. Yeah, it's not the uh, type of film I want to revisit. Like occasionally really though oh yeah heat and manhunters immensely rewatchable this one you wouldn't want to rewatch it like like if somebody whenever. else wanted to watch it and like you were like and you'd already seen it you'd be like okay like yeah. i could sit through that again but i'm not i'm not i'm not googling it like well, hey i wonder if the insider is streaming somewhere right now you know yeah well um shall we do a little segment called what are you watching we shall what, what Why don't you, you go first? Oh, you okay. want me to go first? Uh, well, I, okay. I got I got a couple movies. I, I did watch X and Pearl, finally. Oh, um, you watching both? Yeah. So what's I, your take? I liked X. I didn't mm -hmm. I didn't like Pearl much. Thank you. Okay. okay. I, I'm glad I'm not insane. I, I was totally trying to remember agree. which one, because a lot of people say Pearl is better, but I don't I mean, agree. Pearl is more production value and it's going for something i just don't think it does it it doesn't have enough substance to 
to right. fill it's in just, the flash. Yeah, there's just nothing happening. It's like whereas that, like X is just a very honest. It, it, that film is what it is. You know what it's I mean? A slasher like movie. I mean, it's, it's a slasher movie. It's kind it doesn't of doesn't pretend. It's, kind of it's an artfully directed slasher movie. Yeah, and it's not pretending to be anything to watch. Other than, yeah, like Pearl was like kind of not that fun to watch, and like really it was not. It was kind of a slog. When it, but happens. visually it was some of it was like awesome. I want. Yeah. I wish that it had more going on because it was well directed. The Technicolor stuff and some of the shots and everything was just like so cool. But I didn't give a shit, <laughs> and it wasn't really it, fun or anything. I don't think it needs to exist. No, agreed. Like we didn't need a backstory of that character, really. I don't think. No, no. I it's just it, I was excited by the general concept because I knew general you know like the two one sentence summary or whatever yeah um and i was like well that could be really cool it's also interesting they're having one of this you know this actress play her the younger version of the woman she escaped from yeah blah 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 well i like that in the first movie although i you know whenever they do old people makeup i always think it's kind of corny and also uh, like it's so corny and stuff it's like you don't even really know that it's her you know what i mean yeah it's not clear that it's her well you know you never really see the character in the first movie you never really see the character in full light do you it's always really i mean you kind of do but even still it's like obviously somebody with a bunch of makeup on but it's like so much that you don't know it's the same actress really like unless you know yeah i like the idea that that's happening i like the right. concept of actors playing more than one character in a movie the clumps uh norbit love them dr strange love oh cool. well, okay yeah. there's a good movie <laughs> right. i was thinking of all the eddie murphy ones but oh well that yeah that I'm kidding so uh also i wanted to tell you about um Mathrigan, what the now? Megan with a three Mathrigan. Okay. Um, it's like a creepy doll movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The girl doll. Um, pretty dumb. Uh, pretty dumb. Okay. It's a killer doll movie. Um, right. The the character Mathrigan is. (laughs) I think it's just Megan (laughs) Brad. Okay. I do like saying Mithrigan though. It's I thought it was gonna be some like like uh Lovecraftian body horror like Cthulhu monster movie, Mithrigan. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that should be right. That would that would be better than this movie. It's I'm gonna make that one. The characters, I think some kind of animatronic face with like a like a human actor, probably a little girl actor. The, Interesting. The, the character breaks out into dance for at one oh, point for no reason. Trying to do a Wednesday, trying to get I, that goo goo muck I viral moment. I got the impression they were trying to start a viral dance challenge. Yeah, when movie. you when you try to do that, <laughs> you oh no, you gone done I'm like, it bad. What is going on? This is like Act Three. The character has basically revealed herself as a monster, like killer robot doll thing. Yeah. And she's like going around killing people and suddenly she just starts dancing like randomly. Wow. I'm like now I feel like I, I have to watch it. It was so like the plot of it was just so like all the story beats were so clunky and predictable and forced and mm. like all the setups were just ridiculous like all right, so the the girl, it's like the beginning of the movie, the girl's parents die and her aunt's got to take her. And her aunt is the girl from Girls and Get Out, like that girl. Okay. She, she was in both those things. I can't, yeah. the, the actor's name is eluding me at the moment, but um, same. she's like a tech, like a roboticist for a toy company. And they're working on this, this Megan. Um. Like high tech doll toy thing. Yeah, they got like a line of Furby like dolls that are really popular and they're trying to do the next thing, you never, you know, like so the doll, they take the Megan doll, it's like a prototype home, and it's just so at that point, it just becomes like it's almost like someone went on chat GPT and typed in 
write a script for a killer doll movie. <laughs> and that this is the script. Like it's so hitting you over the head with everything. Like there's a dog, there's a creepy neighbor and a dog that everyone hates. So it's like, okay, the dog's going to be the first kill. I don't know. The script is just so paint by numbers. Like they have all the tropes lined up. Right. But they don't do it in like a fun way. No, it's not fun at all. It's just a killer doll movie. I don't, did you see the child's play remake with Mark Hamill as the doll? Oh, um, with, um, the one they didn't What's do name in it. Uh, Aubrey Plaza is in it. Yes. Yeah. It's, I did see that. It's basically the same movie. I mean, yeah, that's the whole, like the doll is connected to the house's AI. Like there's a, uh-huh. a Google house or an Alexa house or something. Uh-huh. And it's just that movie, but it's like, it's not good. <laughs> it's yeah. Fairly it ridiculous. Really... It didn't intrigue me. I could just, I think, I think I could tell by like the character design, which I've seen, you know, floating around, just yeah. like her face. I'm like, this movie's gonna suck. Yeah. It, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like it wasn't, yeah. it, it wasn't pushed in any particular direction or something in a, in a way to make it. You know what I mean? Like that doll should have these, this like kind of violently subtle creepy vibes right yeah it's not it, subtle it does it's, it, yeah. yeah it's just like i don't know well also the character is sort of weirdly sexualized too like not nice. in any, not in any like overt way but like sure, but just like implied kind of like the way or like it's double dressed. entendres or something no it's not written in it's just like I don't know the 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 dress, the way the character's dressed, and yeah, the way it moves, and the fact that it just dances randomly, and I I kind of it kind of looks like a sex doll, like the <laughs> like face a real of it. doll or whatever they're called. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, whatever they're called, like Uncanny Valley robot yeah. sex murder doll. Yeah, basically, but it's like I mean, a little you girl know too. It's like you, but you know, if that existed, creeps would be trying to have sex with it. Yeah. 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 I I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry to bring it up. My my bad. It sucks. (laughs) Oh, I started watching that. What is it called? I was watching Hunters, the second season of Hunters. Speaking of Al Pacino. Yeah. Al Pacino's Jewish guy. Uh, It's on Amazon. I never even heard of this. Yeah. No. I you should check out the first season. Okay. So it's basically they're like Nazi hunters on crack cocaine. And it's this alternate kind of reality in the 70s, I believe, where the Nazis are like infiltrating world governments and they're like basically secretly they have they fled Germany, right? Yeah. They've embedded themselves in important places all over the world and are slowly like rebuilding their strength to take because the the goal of the Third Reich was to rule the entire world, right? They thought it was their birthright, their destiny, yeah, to rule over the face of the earth. So the the premise behind this show, which I think might be based on like a comic book or a graphic novel or series of graphic novels, um, is that the Nazis, there's a secret Nazi, like it's basically what crazy conspiracy theorists think the Jews are doing. But um, the Nazis, which is actually more believable to me, uh, is that there's a secret uh, group of Nazis trying to run the world. Um, But they're in U.S. government and all this stuff like Ava. You find out like Ava Braun is still alive and she's kind of like the ringleader and all this stuff. Um, And there's this this kid gets involved with him. He's like literally just like a kid who finds out that his grandma was involved. And so he gets all drawn into this group of like. There's like an actor. He's like an actual actor, like a popular actor who moonlights as a Nazi assassin, uh, a nun, like a, a stunt woman or something. Like there's all these, you know, it's like it's very comic booky, but not in like a Marvel way, you know. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, and Al Pacino's in it and he's playing a Jewish guy, so he doesn't scream that much. I it I really doesn't that, scream yeah. at all. I, I'm looking at the Wikipedia. I'd never heard of this, but it sounds really cool. Yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't gotten more 
Yeah, there's a lot of cool people in it. And Saul um, Rubinick's in it. I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, yeah. it looks like there's some good stuff in it. I, I I like the first season. I mean, it's, you know, it's not perfect, but it's melodramatic. It's funny. It's gory. It's, uh, I think it, you'll really like it. Okay. And um, lots of twists and turns and uh, started the second season and they're really, really going for it. Uh, really expanding the scope. Um, <clears throat> and it's, you know, I, I enjoy it. It's not the best thing ever, but if you're running out of things to watch and that sounds like, you know, might appeal to you go for it i think i'm gonna check it out all right cool yeah. i got something new i'm gonna look at yeah man and uh the other thing was uh on netflix it's called kunk on earth which is a bbc show that netflix just got whatever Punk. rights to uh, so i've seen these clips all over tiktok <laughs> it's this comedian and she does this show where she interviews real scientists and experts in fields and she's basically covering like the whole history of earth and everything, but it's like a satire. It's a satirical send up of like David Attenborough films oh. and serious, you know, like scientific, like a uh, magazine show type things, you know, or like Alan Alda, like Nova or whatever, you know, he's like, Oh, we're going to go today. We're talking about the French cave paintings and blah, blah. And, um, it's pretty good. It's one of those things where I think it's almost better as the little viral clips that I catch on TikTok. Okay. You know, like let three minutes or less. Whereas yeah. watching a whole show of it is kind of like a lot of satire. <clears throat> um, Just gets to be a lot. Yeah, like but it's much. good. It's yeah. funny. I would check it out. Um, it's a series and, then? Yep, it's a okay. series. And the people that she's interviewing like they're in on the joke they know the show isn't serious but they're okay. instructed to actually try and answer her questions okay but she just says like the craziest thing she's like she's british and she's like when did uh so when did human beings start walking stop walking on all fours and stand upright and the guy's like well we've always walked upright but you know, I would say it's been however many years. And then he says our descendants is, was probably blah, blah, blah. When we walked on four legs and she's like, eh, if, if now maybe, well, should they actually be all called legs? Or maybe we had front arms and back arms, you know, and she's so serious about it. Mm -hmm. um, that's not a very funny example, but uh, the, I get, I get what you, word? I mean, I can kind of picture it. Like Kunk on earth. Yeah. That, that sort of like dry, like British. very serious yeah. British, yeah but it's just like just um, dripping with satire and then you got the actual expert trying to like navigate this without a being mean to her and you know be like not looking dumb yeah, <laughs> and they're to, also like yeah, yeah they're trying to hold it together too because she's being so ridiculous um i probably had some other stuff well, i watched snl i told you about that mm -hmm. uh and there was something on HBO, but I can't can't find it, so it doesn't matter. Okay. So yeah, that' what I watch now, huh? Cool. All right. Well, I'll record an outro. Um, all right. Well, thanks for joining us, gang. My name is Brad Patello. Find me on Instagram at Brad Patello. Adam is Renaissance Grunt. Gus is Mr. Trouth, and our movie Odyssey podcast. Instagram account is called a movie odyssey and it exists and you should follow it and you should comment on our things and tell us nice things and tell us how much you love us and how yes. much you want to hug us and squeeze us and call us George. <laughs> Please do those things.